0: Whatever kind of night you're having, start it off right with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. Whether you're mixing up a bullet bourbon old-fashioned for a cozy night in, or Kettle One Bloody Mary bar for a birthday brunch, you can get the perfect beer, wine, and spirits for any occasion delivered with Drizzly. So what's it gonna be? Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com to choose your drinks today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations.
1: Welcome to the Verds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We are coming to you with a Patreon exclusive, and it is something we've actually been meaning to get around to for a little while, but we were held off because of the Orioles being in the playoffs, and that is our first postseason top 50 prospects countdown. Now, you may hear this and the fact that we're recording it here just before Thanksgiving and wondering... Does this mean we're not going to get a top 50 update later in the offseason? The answer is no. Uh, It means you're going to get both of them. You're going to get this one now, and you're going to get the other one probably in January when we're going to release it day by day to our patron subscribers. Be player one through 50 throughout the month of January into February. You're not going to want to miss that, but we want to give you our first list Since the end of the minor league season, and if you go back to our shows in late September, you'll hear recaps of individual seasons, so we're not going to get so much into the stats tonight, but kind of take a look at the state of the farm system here in the final weeks of 2023. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but first, I'm going to go over to Bob because we just made a shift recently with how we interact with our patrons and how we interact with our audience in general. So, Bob, can you give us some news there?
2: Yeah, sure, Ken. First, I want to say, if you're wondering what's going to be the difference between this top 50 update and the one we do in January where we start at 50 and count down to one, we don't know yet <laughs> because people could be traded. It could be very different, or it could be like last offseason where not much happened, but still from buzz and mini camps and stuff, we could uh, we could see some small changes if nothing major happens. But yeah, we used to have the WhatsApp group when uh for patrons of the podcast and that was awesome love the community that was built there and i'll keep that open just in case people want to still do that but we're switching over to a discord channel or server i guess it's called um we're we're old so we're a little slow in the uptake for these things you know we got to get with the 21st century here we're switching to discord a little more options a little more flexibility just a cleaner look, I think. And this way we can uh, invite non-patrons and regular listeners or Orioles fans that want to have intelligent uh, civil conversations on our Discord. They are able to as well. And then patrons will have their own special channels that only they can access. So yeah, just felt like it was a good way to continue to grow this awesome community that you guys have been a part of. And I'll, I'll put the link. It's already pinned on the patron page available for everybody. I'll put it in pretty much every episode description moving forward for this podcast. And uh, yeah, excited to get started on that.
1: Yeah, we look forward to seeing our bustling community from WhatsApp move over there and hopefully see it grow here in the coming weeks and months. And with that, we'll get into our top 50 countdown, which is really October, November of 2023. Typically, it would be in October, but as I mentioned in the intro, we kind of shelved it because of the Orioles postseason run. We're just now getting around the opportunity to release it to you. And we'll go now really one through 10, but we have a tie within the top 10, which I'll get into in a second. But number one in the Orioles' top 50 prospects countdown, so come as a little surprise, it is Jackson Holiday. He is followed by Kobe Mayo, second. Colton Cowder, third. Samuel Basayo, one of the biggest breakouts of 2023, rises to the number four spot, followed by Joey Ortiz, fifth. Heston Kurstad sixth. Connor Norby 7th, Dylan Beaver is 8th, and then tied for ninth. we have Enrique Bradfield Jr., the Orioles' first-round pick in the 2023 draft, as well as left-handed pitcher Cade Povitz. So you're looking at a mix there that is predominantly infielders, because we know that that is the strength of the Orioles' farm system right now, but also a few outfielders, and then a left-handed pitcher in Povitz. So Nick, I'll start with you here. What are your general thoughts in that group? Because we've seen a lot of graduations out of the Orioles farm system over the last two years, yet it feels like if you look at them one through 10, this is still a really strong farm system.
0: Yeah. So I I was thinking about this when I was looking at it, refreshing my memory on what our top 15 look like again. Um, I feel like going back to like 2020, when we first started doing this, I always felt like I don't know how you guys felt, but I felt like the top of the list, was there was like a pretty clear consensus, like that top 5'10", right? Maybe you could argue if you felt like D.L. Hall maybe had the higher ceiling. Again, this is going back to like 2020, 2019. If you felt like D.L. Hall had the higher ceiling, right? Yes, he was a more volatile prospect, but if he had the higher ceiling and you want to put D.L. Hall above Grayson, sure. But like I felt like no matter what list you looked at, it was all pretty standard, uh, and pretty similar, and it was like those last ten spots for me it was always the hardest. I'm like, do you go higher floor guys? Do you go higher like wild card, higher ceiling guys? Um, that was what I was struggled with. Now, honestly, I struggle the most with putting together this top ten because there are so many like legitimate future major leaguers or guys with just incredible tools. Like we've got Holiday one. You got Kobe Mayo too. H- Holiday, I think, is the consensus number one. After that, though, if you want to have Kowser two, or if you want to have Cursed two, if you want to have Basayo number two, I think that's all legitimate. Like, I, I think I've got Cursed four, Ortiz five, Basayo six, which is kind of like flipped of what our order came out to be Basayo four, Ortiz five, and Cursed six. And like, I dropped Joey Ortiz two spots on my list, but that's not a knock on Ortiz at all. I think you look back this past season, Joey Ortiz. Kind of, if you have any more questions about Joey Ortiz's bat, you're not watching Joey Ortiz, in my opinion, because he's proven all of that. Um, he, the bat is, is going to play pretty well at the major league level, and he's a bona fide major league shortstop. But at the same time, it's like Heston Curse had exploded onto the scene this year um, and reached the major leagues and stuck in the major leagues. Samuel Basayo is becoming a there are some people talking about him potentially being the number one overall prospect in baseball at some point, if he continues on this trajectory, like it was so difficult for me to rank this top 10 because a lot of these guys have pretty special skill sets. I think.
2: Yeah. Sorry. I was just looking at our individual lists and after the top two, I don't see a spot where we all have the same player, all the way down to at least 30. So, and I'm, that might continue all the way. So talk about, you know, a system that is so deep and at the top, at the middle, at the bottom, talented, that we all have completely different lists. And that's why I love doing the, uh, the um, consensus between us where we combine it all together and divide and do a little bit of math in there. But yeah, it's very, very interesting because I think holidays clear number one, I think Kobe Mayo is pretty, like Nick said, you can definitely make an argument for some other guys, but I think he's fairly clearly number two. After that, I mean, I have Basayo three. Nick, you had him six. Zach, you had him fourth. And you could just go on and on with this for every player down the list. And it's you know, it's not necessarily that any of us are lower on anyone than the other, but we just have our own preferences and, and see things breaking certain ways. Um, but for me personally, I think the Orioles have three of the top 20 prospects in baseball, including number one overall in holiday. I think there's an argument for eight top 100 prospects still in the system after graduating the people they did last season. So yeah, um, just the system ever since Michael eyes took over, it's only gotten more and more exciting. And I think even as they trade away from this surplus, and our contenders every year, year in and year out. Just the way they operate, I think it's going to be exciting for the foreseeable future. As long as the remnants of this regime are here in Baltimore, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to follow.
1: Well, as the two of you were talking, I was reminded of the fact that in our early list, I felt like our top 15s, top 10s were generally the same. And then after that, that's where you would start to see some splits. And Now it's getting to the point where I think beyond the top two or three spots, you could put the remaining players in the top 10 in any order and have a really valid argument. And it's not necessarily that the top 10 has thinned out or that it's become a quantity over quality situation. It's just that you now have probably a dozen players at the top of this list who in most farm systems are going to be legitimate top 10 prospects. I want to shift gears here for a minute, just kind of looking back on the year. Is there anyone in this group of 10 where maybe your impression of them changed for the better this season? Like maybe coming into this year, you wouldn't have thought that they were a top 10 guy or you would have thought they were a borderline top 10 guy. But now they're solidly in that conversation for you. Yeah. Um...
0: I don't think there's anybody. Well, maybe Connor Norby uh, to an extent, if you're talking about guys who in, in this system, put Connor Norby in pretty much any other farm system. And he's bonafide, like top 10 without a doubt. But you know, you kind of thought, all right, if, is he going to be, is the bat going to take a back seat this year? Is the power going to take a back seat this year? Kind of what's he going to look like uh, this year? And I think, He had, some people want to say, a quieter year, but I think he had just as good, if not overall, a little bit better of a year this season. Um, I think just kind of looking at this top 10 and in terms of like guys that maybe surprised me or maybe solidified their spot a little bit more, though, honestly, I think is, I mentioned Ortiz there, but he's kind of, we've always been super high on Ortiz. Basayo obviously is becoming like on the, mega star track is in terms of like a prospect status but honestly for me i think the guy that took the biggest jump was probably heston kerstad and it's why i put him all the way up at number four i i like when our finalist he comes out at number six because i do think ultimately maybe defensively he probably is ends up being first base dh so that kind of knocks him down when you've got colton cowser who can play center field maybe you don't want him as your everyday center fielder but he can play center field joey ortiz is a bona fide major league shortstop Same, but samuel basayo is fantastic catcher he's not moving off that position anytime soon but for me i just think it, it's cursed dad like he, he we all know the story everyone listening to this knows the story and, and that timeline but he went over two calendar years without playing competitive baseball and in 2022 he played 22 games at delmarva 43 games in aberdeen And in 2023, he reached the major leagues and was on the playoff roster. And I don't think – I remember talking about this at our live show. um, You know, Kerstad probably going to be left off the playoff roster. He didn't – I don't think – he didn't see any time in those three playoff games, did he? No. Um, Still, he was in the dugout. He was on the playoff roster over some other options. Uh, and I think the Orioles did that for many reasons, a, like the experience just being there, I'm sure was a big learning experience for him. But I think that says a lot about how the organization views him and for him to rise so quickly through double a his way through double a didn't miss a beat in triple a gets to the big leagues. And yeah, doesn't see a lot of playing time, but he's still the one thing that a lot of people commented on the power, the raw power and batting practice was out of this world. Um, I just think Kerstad, Again, the strikeouts haven't been an issue for him as he's moved up the ranks. I think this is a guy who, regardless of where you put him at defensively, I see a guy who's going to hit thirty plus home runs every single year, barring health, uh, and be like a mainstay in the middle of this batting order for years to come.
2: Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I had him at six only because of the defense, like you mentioned. It was a little rougher than I was expecting. And I know he's pretty new to first base this year, but I thought the outfield defense would be a little bit better, but there's no, no doubt about the bat. I mean, the hit tool plus the power is just ridiculous. And he's not a guy that's going to walk a ton, but he also doesn't really swing and miss a ton. Like he go, He's aggressive and he's he does damage with what he gets. But the guy for me that really jumped up the most out of this top 10 would have to be Dylan Beavers, especially after – the first couple months of the season in Aberdeen where he really struggled. And then whatever he was doing with the hitting instructors in the minors, it it worked, something clicked, and he was just, you know, lights out from that point on in the season. And we know there's still room to grow there because he we know he has great raw power and he still has yet to really tap into that in a significant way. Uh, the hit tool, the speed, flash, the power, we know there's more there. So for me, Beavers is a guy that's like, okay, he can struggle and he can make adjustments. We know that's possible. And the, just the raw athleticism is there. He's good defensively. He's got some speed. So yeah, he's a guy that's like a just a sleeper five tool type of guy that could be a, a top five prospect for another organization.
1: I think for me, Basayo's jump this year is what stands out the most inside the top 10 because... We all liked Basayo coming into this year, but I think out of all the prospects that we were fairly high on, we were tempering expectations the most with Basayo because he was going to Del Marva at 18 years old. He had not played a full season professional baseball yet. He's a catcher. His development curve is probably going to be slower, and that's a very, very reasonable expectation when you look at how catchers typically develop, yet Basayo tore apart low-A pitching. His defense, I think, exceeded every expectation that there was for it and then ended the year in double-A and only four games, but he hit the ball really well that over those uh, four games in Bowie. So he's going to be firmly entrenched in, in that lineup next year at double-A as a 19-year-old on opening day. He could be in triple-A before he turns 20 next year. And I don't know that that's something that I saw coming uh, before this season.
2: Yeah. That's a great point. I think, like, his his success, obviously, we were all super high on him. John Mioli predicted him to be a top-five prospect at this point. Good call, John, uh, last year. And I feel like it was just such a slow build, a slow burn, that he kind of – it just felt natural. Like, he just got better and better as the season went on. He started tapping into the power in games more often. He started walking more. And it didn't matter if he, he went up a level. It didn't matter, you know – what he did, he just found success and he's got that X factor too. But yeah, it's a good call. He's probably the one, but it was a little too obvious. So I think me and Nick went a different way.
0: Yeah, I just, with Basayo, I mean, I kind of assumed, I remember talking about this on the show, like Creed Willem, him and Creed Willem started together in Dunbar. And it's like Creed's repeating the level. So he's going to get the call up first to Aberdeen. Basayo, he's so young, he's the catcher. So maybe he spends like the final month or so in Aberdeen and the guy finishes the year in double A. And I do agree with Zach there that he's probably going to be the Norfolk Tides starting catcher by the time he's 19 years old, uh, predominant starting catcher, not like first base DH and he catches sometimes um, the guy had a, an 18 year old catcher in high a where we talk all the time about all these hitting prospects Really struggle in the beginning. Colton Cowser, Connor Norby, Kobe Mayo, uh, Dylan Beavers. These are some of the top. Those are some top 100 prospects. Some of the top prospects in all of baseball who really, really struggled in Aberdeen. Samuel Basai played 27 games in Aberdeen, hit eight home runs, had a 195 WRC plus, a 17 percent strikeout rate, and a 16.5 percent walkout rate. Walk rate. Like those are insane. I don't even want to call them video game numbers because no one can put up those numbers in a video game, even like this is in just insane numbers by Basayo that every time I look at them, I'm mind blown because like, how does an 18 year old catcher do this? I mean, somebody didn't somebody at baseball America, I think had like, which of these two guys, I saw the tweet the other day, like, which of these two guys would you want in your farm system, Ethan Salas or Samuel Basayo? Ethan Salas, I mean, did great things, but he's also the Padres were putting him at what a ball at like age 17 or whatever. I haven't watched a ton of Ethan Salas, but I can tell you that Sammy Basayo is a monster. He is a freak of nature. And I, I don't know what his ceiling is because I I thought I knew, but he blew any projections I had or thoughts I had about him out of the water this season.
2: It is so wild to me to have Orioles international prospect, Sammy Basayo in the same conversation as Ethan Salas, who was like this major hype international guy, like, the most wanted first Bowman card out there. And I, when I voted, it was right around 50-50. So I think it's just weird to me that the Orioles have this huge name international
0: prospect coming up, and uh, I think he's going to be a superstar. And one more note about Basayo. Don't forget that he had a handshake agreement, I believe, with the Yankees and ended up signing with the Orioles. So that is the icing on the cake of
1: the Sammy Basayo story. He was supposed to be a Yankee. Sorry about it. We'll move on now to the eleven through 20 on our list. And we've got an interesting balance of pitchers and position players uh, in this grouping. And number eleven, Chase McDermott, who was voted our pitcher of the year in the Orioles minor league system after an excellent twenty twenty three season between double A Bowie and Triple A Norfolk. He's followed number twelve by center fielder Judd Fabian. Seth Johnson, who got back on the mound before the end of the season after recovering from Tommy John surgery. Texan at 13. He's followed by Jackson Ballmeister, who was the first pitcher taken in the pitcher-heavy 2023 draft class for the Orioles. At number 15, Mac Horvath, position player, followed by another grouping of position players in Max Wagner at 16, John Rhodes at 17, Hudson Haskin at number 18. Then you have another pitcher, Alex Pham, at 19th, followed by the young shortstop, Luis Almeida at 20. So this group really covers about as broad of a range as you can in terms of level placement because Almeida will probably be at the FCL in 2024 Will at least begin his 2024 season there, while McDermott probably going to be in the AAA rotation where he could be joined by Fam Johnson and Fabian both ended the year in AA, so kind of an interesting mix here. Uh, When you look at this group, I'll start with you, Bob. Which players jump out at you?
2: Uh, Besides all of them, um, (laughs) I will say, oh man, Seth Johnson, I feel like is a real wild card, dark horse. Like I think he could be a top five guy um, late next season because he was touching triple digits with the fastball. We know the potential he had. He's a little bit older now thanks to injuries and and stuff like that. But I just feel like he can move super fast next year, especially if they... Find a way to work around the innings, and the two draft guys, Jackson Ballmeister and Matt Horvath To me, I think are guys with huge upward trajectory. Um, Ballmeister, we didn't even—he hasn't pitched professionally yet, but I think we're all looking forward to that, where he starts next year, where he ends, and then Matt Korvath. I feel like is just like, I feel like I don't know. There's there's something there that I think is gonna really breakout next year i think he's like one of my big breakout picks for uh 2024 it's not like it would be that big of a surprise but i, I just think there's something special there yeah
0: i honestly I, I almost get maybe not as good defensively but i almost feel like matt corvath is like in that jordan westberg tier of prospect almost uh and he's gonna need some more time he's got a ways to go to get to that level, obviously. But I think he can reach that level pretty easily, maybe by the end of next year. In this range for me, the bats are fun. Horvath, obviously. If if Fabian, you know, we heard great things about cutting down on the swing and miss when he was in Aberdeen, and then he got to Bowie, and it was like uh, three true outcomes to an extreme with Fabian there. Um, We know he could probably play center field defense in the major leagues tomorrow if you need him to. That's not an issue, the defense, but it's obviously the swing and miss and the bat. So still a super high ceiling there with Fabian, but we'll see what next year brings Haskin. You know, may or may not still be around the organization next year. We touched on Rhodes and kind of, I know my kind of a little bit of frustrations with Rhodes there last week. Uh, Max Wagner, I, I still think Wagner is a guy who was so young and so raw last season that he definitely showed a lot of positive things. But I almost view him as being someone who you really hope the bat breaks out and buoy next year. And he becomes a, a pretty big trade piece almost. But for me among this group, I think it's the pitching. I'm just going to lump all these guys together because I think this group can finally take this organization into gaining more of that national respect f- as far as having quality pitchers in this organization, because I mean, we didn't really talk about Kate Povich too much in that first group. We know Kate Povich, the ceiling is enormous. I think Kylie McDaniel was proven right. He went on the limb and had preseason last year, had Kay Povich incredibly high in his top 100. I think Povich maybe didn't fully live up to that hype last year, but he definitely flashed why he was so deserving of that uh, spot on um, Kylie McDaniel's list. We'll see what next year brings, but this McDermott, Seth Johnson, Baumeister, a- a- Alex Pham, And I'm gonna even throw in like Armbruster and Pinto and some other guys in the next group, but this group specifically, like McDermott, depending on how severe that back injury was last year, hopefully this offseason he's fully recovers from that and come out, he can come out uh, in spring training fully healthy. But this is a guy who could be a bullpen piece for you at some point next year, like by midseason next year, if he's fully healthy, uh, and give you length or be just a fireball pitcher, one inning guy late-inning guy. Uh, Jackson Baumeister, we'll see what we have. Like Bob said, we haven't seen him pitch yet, but by all accounts, I mean, he could arguably be the top-pitching prospect in the organization. I think Seth Johnson also has a very real argument for being the top-pitching prospect in this organization and probably a top-five guy, top-ten guy in this organization right now. Um, Again, we just haven't seen too much of him. So I just think this group of pitchers right there is going to start garnering a lot of that national respect that this Orioles pitching staff, quite frankly, deserves a lot more of.
1: I want to talk about McDermott for a moment. Um, Excellent 2023 season between Norfolk and Bowie. As I mentioned during the lead-in, he was named our Pitcher of the Year in the minor leagues. I'll just run off some of his numbers here. 3-1-0 ERA and 119 innings pitched between Bowie and Norfolk. He struck out 152 batters. While walking to 68. And in a reverse of the trend that I think we saw not just throughout the Orioles system, but I would suspect in a lot of other systems this year, his walk rate actually went down after he went to AAA. So the adjustment that he had to that level seemed to not be as severe as some other guys had this year. Now, with that said, Nick just mentioned had the back injury late in the year. We need to see how he bounces back from that. But if McDermott is healthy, in spring training and is able to be ready to go in the regular season on day one. What do you think he has to work on to be major league ready sooner rather than later?
0: To be honest, like kind of looking at where hopefully this pitching staff is with Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, right? John means hopefully fully healthy can give you quality starts. Dean Kramer. Hopefully there is a free agent signing or trade or something. I think the starting pitching is hopefully going to be much stronger next year. Right. And there is a quality group of starters where, you know, two years ago we'd be sitting here right now saying Chase McDermott could be the number three pitcher on this Orioles team next year. Right now, honestly, I don't think I honestly, I hope that Chase McDermott isn't needed in the starting rotation because I mean, if you go out there and get you a free agent, if you go out there and make a trade with, the starters you have in place now, I mean, you're talking about Dean Kramer, possibly, depending on how this season play this offseason plays out. Dean Kramer possibly being being bumped out of the starting rotation. That way, you don't need McDermott as a starting pitching prospect. McDermott can come in there and yeah, the walks are still a little bit higher than what you like to see. As a reliever, you're not as concerned about that you're looking at 11, 12, 13 strikeouts per nine innings. You're talking about upper 90s fastball. You're talking about elite off- or secondary pitches. You're talking about a guy who, look at the home run rates. They were pretty high in, in A-ball with the Astros organization, and when he came over uh, in that trade in A AA and AAA this year, he slashed those home run rates significantly. Um, I like a lot of what I saw out of McDermott and thinking that he could be a bullpen piece for you right now. Uh, and if anything, he's a guy midseason, late season next year, he becomes a, a weapon for you. Kind of around the trade deadline, like we were talking about D.L. Hall last year, uh, this past season. All right, Maybe you don't make that trade for that bona fide reliever. D.L. Hall is going to be that piece you need to kind of take that bullpen to the next level down the stretch and into the playoffs. Maybe Chase McDermott can be that guy for you next year.
2: Speaking of D.L. Hall, he graduated finally from our list uh, this year. But, yeah, I think that it's awesome that the Orioles are now in a position where hopefully, knock on wood, they acquire one or two legitimate starting pitchers, another one or two legitimate like Major League relievers, And then these guys that are sitting in AAA can just be super quality depth. It almost reminds me of the Dodgers last year where they had a string of injuries but they were able to put guys like Emmett Sheehan, Bobby Miller, these like legitimate pitching prospects that were sitting there in AAA. They, they, I think they used some of them out of the bullpen here and there when they needed an arm. But then when the injuries piled up, you at least had a quality prospect who could, you know, keep you in competitive ballgames night in and night out against tough competition. So I feel like guys like, uh, McDermott, Povich, um, Justin Armbruster from the next batch. Like These guys are sitting there right at AAA, and that's that's really helpful. Who would you rather have come up to make a sp- spot start or an injury replacement start? Uh, Bruce Zimmerman and Spencer Watkins, no offense to the first player guest we ever had, um, or uh, Chase McDermott, Seth Johnson, you know Justin Armbruster, Kate Povich, et cetera, et cetera, so Alex Pham. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's just a great position that the Orioles are in
1: we move on to the next section on this list, which is 21 through 30. At number 21, we have infielder Frederick Ben Cosme, who did not follow up his breakout 2022 season with a strong 2023, but there's still some things there with him that we like. Number 22, Justin Armbruster, who, as we just talked about earlier, could be a really good depth option for the Orioles to AAA next year and possibly a guy that's going to be in the conversation for a big league job before the season ends. Number 23, Gene Pinto, the right-handed pitcher, had a very solid year between Aberdeen and Bowie. Number 24, Braylon Tavera, young outfielder. He's followed by Trey Bright, a right-handed pitcher who put together a very good first full season of professional baseball. Leandro Arias, a young infielder, checks in at 26. Luis de Leon, one of the breakout stars for the Delmarva Swordbirds, the left-hander, checks in at number 27. Number 28, Carter Ballmer, right-handed pitcher, coming off a solid stint in the Arizona Fall League. Kiefer Lord, number 29, Lord, a 2023 draft pick who really rose up the ranks as the draft approached last summer, and the Orioles are hoping that they have a guy who can continue to rise here in their farm system. And at number 30, Creed Willems, who began the year in Delmarva as one of two catchers along with Samuel Basayo. Like Basayo, he would also be promoted before the year was over he would end up getting more time with Aberdeen than he did in Del Marva. Mixed results there, but still a really nice first full year of professional ball for Creed Willems. Uh, Nick, I'll start out with you here. I think we can kind of continue the conversation a little bit that we just had and talk about pitching. But when you look at this group, it's really not only the arms towards the top of the farm system, but also some guys who are going to start lower next year. De Leon maybe begins next year at Aberdeen. Ballmer still does not have a ton of professional experience. He's likely going to go to one of the A-ball levels if he's ready to go on opening day. So what are your thoughts on this group of pitchers in this section of the list?
0: Uh, I mean, Armbruster kind of fits that mold that we were just talking about. Uh, he's a guy who, again, yeah, he's worked a lot as a starter down on the farm, but the slider was a pitch for Armbruster that I think took a big jump forward this past year. And his a lot of his secondaries, I think, took a big jump forward last year. And he was able to command the strike zone a lot better last year. So I think my confidence level and his ability to maybe work out of the bullpen grew a little bit uh, over this past year. And again, if you need him to make an emergency start, that's fine as well. We've talked a lot about Gene Pinto recently. Thoughts haven't really changed there. Same as Luis De Leon, but with Ballmer. I mean, I, you, you, ha, you can't write him off. You can't even come close to writing him off, I don't think, because you saw – we talked about what he was able to do in the Arizona Fall League in his 10 innings, a lot of strikeouts. Uh, anyone who's watched him pitch in the few innings that he's been able to pitch since being drafted in 2020, you got the pandemic, uh, Tommy John surgery, you've got shoulder injuries. I mean, you just got so many things that have held Carter Ballmer back, but every time you see him take the mound, it's like that's what made him – such a coveted draft pick. That's what makes him such an intriguing prospect because the guy's got all the stuff to be one of the top pitching prospects. I think in baseball, he just can't stay healthy. But like for me, honestly, the most intriguing name on this list, I think is Kiefer Lord for sure. We just haven't seen enough of him, but I'm still thinking like trace bright. I, I just keep going back to bright and just, he was one of the top strikeout arms in this system last year. For much of the year, he got up to double A and the numbers looked a little bit better in double A, not a ton of time, just 17 innings, but the walk rate went down. Same as McDermott, like no home runs. The guy just rarely allowed home runs, good ground ball numbers as well. I had a 2.12 ERA in 17 double A innings. I think he's the guy who I saw some other, some more conversation about him recently. Like the mechanics seem to get out of whack, but when he puts it all together and is in control of everything, he's one of the top pitching prospects in this organization, He was striking on almost 14 guys per nine innings in high A this year. So I'm thinking if Bright can put it all together next year, back in Bowie's rotation, he's solidly a top 15, 20 guy in this organization. I don't know how to tell people this, and maybe
2: someone could get Dan Conley a pillow for when he faints, but uh, the Orioles are very quickly going to be a pitching-heavy farm system once these guys at the top, who are like right on the cusp of the majors, the position players that get all the hype, are uh, graduated <laughs> it's a lot of really really talented arms in this system from top to bottom like we talked about Armburst or pinto we know i mean he could be gone in the rule five draft along with hudson haskin and maybe that could be one of the differences come january we'll see you also got trace bright like nick mentioned i mean god he's got huge upside luis de leon comes out of nowhere he's like the next Gene Pinto, but probably more upside because he's a lefty that can sit in the mid 90s. Carter Ballmer, we know the upside if he could stay healthy. Kiefer Lord, a huge arm. Like there's, and there's plenty more we're going to talk about as we continue down this list. And we already mentioned a bunch of high upside guys as well. It's just the pitching is, uh, it's going to be a major problem. Uh, Baseball America had the article about how when it comes to fastballs, the Orioles are like the place to look. Uh, with the hop they get on their four-seamers and, and two-seamers and everything. Um, so, yeah, I think we need to start drafting some position players, guys.
1: I do want to go back to Bright for a minute because that was a pick that I think some people were scratching their heads when they saw it in 2022. Fifth rounder out of Auburn, and he was coming off a season where he had a 5-1-3 ERA. And what we kept hearing out of the Orioles camp was – Look past the ERA. This guy's got really good stuff. And he pits, you know, he only had a handful of innings over the summer of 22. So we didn't get a chance to see him pits. But this past year, I think we saw why the Orioles took him in the fifth round. And you could tell with his fastball a lot of nights where he changes speeds with it really well. It has really good movement on it. The pits data on that had to be excellent. And if they can just continue to build on the progress that he made this past season, I agree. I think he'll solidly be a top 15, top 20 guy in this farm system next year. And one thing I think is interesting, and it's a very small sample size, but what we've seen so far, at least in the last year or two, is that when guys go from Aberdeen to Bowie, their strikeout numbers dip a little bit. Their overall line gets better, but their strikeout numbers dip a little bit. Bright's strikeout numbers did dip somewhat, but he was still striking out almost 11 guys per nine innings. Very small sample size of Bowie. We need to see how that looks over you know half a season or so. But to me, that's a pretty encouraging sign.
0: Bright is one of those guys. We talk a lot about the hitters, You're Max Wagners, John Rhodes, and all these guys, the hitters in the draft that they target. Younger guys who maybe they're coming off a down year in college or they're really starting to peak at the right time. Like as they get closer to draft time, they really start to take off or show spikes and you know, exit velos or starting to put it all together and the Orioles like to pounce on these guys early. Trace Bright maybe didn't have the age. He's like almost twenty-three, I think, at this point. Maybe didn't have the age, and he's a little bit of an older college guy, but he was someone who it seemed like he was starting to put all of his mechanics together. And see that velo uptick closer to draft, and he's he's in that same boat where the Orioles are kind of jumping on him early, saying there's a lot here, there's a lot more here. We're going to get him now while he's still trying to figure all this out, but on an upward trajectory, and we're we're going to take the reins from here uh, and turn you into a one of, one of the top starting pitching prospects in this organization. The guy's touching almost 100 miles an hour, uh, and very I think very very quietly was striking out an insane number of batters to start the year in Aberdeen because he had that phenomenal start where he, I don't even remember the game logs. Then like the first two games or so, he had like 20 something strikeouts in those first two games, like no runs allowed or one run allowed. And then he got hit pretty hard for like a couple starts there, but he kind of settled in as the season went along and it's just strikeouts. He's got the big curveball, He's got a good slider. He's got the powerful fastball. If he can just clean up that command, show that he can work, you know, double AA, a triple a lineup multiple times. He's He joins that tier that we were just talking about that's going to start earning a lot of national respect. If we could
2: also maybe just mention some of these young international guys, like Luis Almeida at 20, uh, Braylon Tavara, Tavara at 24, Leandro Arias at 26, even Frederick Ben at 21, who I'm far from giving up on, still think there's plenty of upside there. Let's just shout out to these guys who could easily be the next, maybe not the next Samuel Basayo, but like the next Orioles prospect to really catch fire and become a name in the international prospect industry. Like Taver and Arias are going to start next season in Delmarva. uh, And uh, Almeida is going to start in the FCL, but maybe he's a guy that gets to Delmarva at some point next year. Do you see any of those three guys really making a, uh, a big mark? Or do you think it's going to be like an anderson DeLos santos thing where it's like the results aren't really there, but the potential
3: remains the same? Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. Just visit PrizePicks.com/slash/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at PrizePicks.com/slash/play100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy.
0: Mm, like for me, I'm not expecting a whole lot out of Luis Almeida, to be honest. I think we we got super excited because he was a unique international prospect in that he played his high school ball here in Jersey, and it seemed like he had pretty much the pick. If he was going to stay in the States, he pretty much had his pick of any college he wanted to go to to play college baseball from what what I read. And it kind of seemed like, all right, he may skip the DSL, go straight to the FCL, and this guy could be like 17 years old in Delmarva. Obviously, he started in the DSL. The Orioles wanted to work slow with him, and then he got hurt. Apparently, he has put on some weight this offseason. That's been a focus of his. But I'm just not jumping the gun anymore there with Almeida. Let him go to the FCL. Let him get his feet wet and everything, and, it, and that's okay. He still holds the record for the most money this organization has given to an international prospect. I'm just going to be patient on him. Tavera, though, this was the guy who in the DSL, I'm like – I just, I don't, I don't know. Like what, what's there? The Orioles gave him a lot of money, but some prospect lists were high on him. Some were super low on him. Like not even in the top 30, not even the top 40, barely top 50. I think on fan graphs, if they were to expand 50 out, I think he barely cracked the, here's some bonus names that I'm going to write about at the bottom of my list on fan graphs. He gets to the FCL this year. And I mean, almost more, more walks than strikeouts, 22 walks to 23 strikeouts. In 35 games hit four home runs. I got on base at a super high clip. I think Tavera is a guy who could honestly hit Delmarva and not have to repeat the level, but kind of take off in Delmarva next year.
1: Yeah, I agree with Nick. I think in the near term, my expectations for Almeida um, really is just for him to get to Sarasota next year, have a healthy summer. If he's there for the entire FCL season, and puts up an OPS of somewhere between 750 and 800, I'll be happy. I'll call that a win, especially with how young he is. Tavera, I'm very excited to see what he can do with Delmarva next year, just because he had such a solid all-around year in Sarasota. And it is true what Nick said. There is a wide range of outcomes on Tavera, depending on which prospect list you read nationally. But the sense I get from him at this point is that he's a guy where there's a potential to be at least above average across the board. He's not a slam dunk, five-tool center field prospect. But he might just be one of those guys that's a solid all-around, and that helps him rise up the ranks.
2: And Thomas Sosa could be the big prospect that comes flying up the ranks next year too there's other guys that you know aren't as high on our list just because they didn't sign for as much but that's the cool thing about international prospects they can like luis de Leon, he was nowhere on our list until what july or august of this year so it could be anyone that just flies up and uh i'm gonna say right now that it's gonna be christian benavides has the biggest comeback of all time after he had a terrible season last
0: year and and he's a top 50 guy I know one prospect list Thomas Sosa is gonna be incredibly high on um, <laughs> next year. but um, yeah, I do want to mention you you mentioned Frederick Ben Cosme there and I just want to say about Ben Cosme. I think a lot of people maybe were like kind of forgot about him last year because he, he gets to high a and spent all year in a high a, which which was good to see, but kind of underwhelming numbers like 246 average, like only two home runs. And we kept saying, like, the hit tool is there. The hit tool is really good. The defense was incredibly raw, but the hit tool was good. And if he could just get bigger and stronger and start flexing some more power, like, he's really going to take his game to the next level. That didn't come. But he's still, he doesn't turn 21 until Christmas. So he's going to be 21 next year. He was still more than two years younger than the competition down there in Aberdeen. And I, I still think, like, you look at his body type, and you just look at him physically, and I, I still think that that spurt, that growth spurt, has kind of yet to come for him. And I still think he's going to hit some growth spurt within the next year or so. At least I hope so. If he's going to take his game to the next level, but I do think it's there. He's still just like this young baby face kid, almost like. I think the power TBD if that's still going to be there, but like this guy still stole almost thirty bases last year in Aberdeen. I just think he's super young. Maybe it was an issue of working defensively. I I don't know, but I'm going to give him another opportunity next year. I I thought it was really encouraging that he goes to the Dominican Winter League, and actually, he's this 20 year old kid who typically, like, we I don't even think Samuel Basayo has played in the Dominican Winter League, and he was like a number one or number two overall draft pick this year down there in that league. I think in the Dominican, they really rely on those veterans like Gabriel, you and these guys are like your studs of these, some of these teams. Like you're not pushing those guys out of their roster spots, Nelson Cruz. You're not taking Nelson Cruz's roster spot down there in, in the Dominican winter league anytime soon. Uh, but he became his team's everyday starting shortstop, but he only played four games and I don't know what happened to him, but he was holding his own down there in the Dominican winter league. I thought that was going to be kind of an encouraging sign, but, Hopefully he's uh, he's healthy and he's not hurt. But yeah, I'm I'm going to give Ben Cosme one more year.
2: Completely agree, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the defense because I saw him in person a few times down in Aberdeen, and I did think his defense had come a long way. So I mean, I don't want to say that he was so focused on defense that the offense wasn't there. I think that's going to take a little more man strength as he as he grows up a little bit and can slap the ball a little bit harder get a little more doubles in there. But defensively, he really looked a lot more smooth, a lot more capable of not making simple mistakes. So I think at least defensively, he could play up the middle for sure. As as lanky as he is, he can, he can get the ball out there.
1: We'll go now to the 31 through 40 grouping on our top 50 list. And you have an interesting mix of pitchers who have been in the system for a few years, as well as some 2023 draft picks. And then a couple of position players with different trajectories. Uh, number 31, right-handed pitcher Juan Nunez. He's followed by Jake Cunningham, an outfielder of the Orioles took in the 2023 draft at 32nd. Kyle Bronovitz, the right-handed pitcher, comes in at 33. He's followed by Billy Cook at 34. Cook was not on our top 50 list when the season started. But thanks to a really strong year, he's now in the conversa- conversation. Tavion Josenberger, a 2023 draft pick, infielder, outfielder, comes in at 35th. He's followed by the left-handed pitcher, Davey Cruz, at 36th. The high upside but often inconsistent right-hander, Carlos Tavera comes in at 37th. He's followed by Zach Peake at 38th. Levi Wells, a right-handed pitcher chosen in the 2023 draft, comes in at 39th. And then Anderson De Los Santos, who had kind of mixed results in his first full season, at Delmarva is our 40th ranked prospect. I'm going to start off with the guys that the Orioles just took in the 2023 drafts because we haven't had a chance to talk about them a lot on this show. And if you want to hear deeper dives in the peak and Bronovitz, I would encourage anyone listening to this to go back to our last two shows where we covered the Orioles, previewed the Orioles' decision-making for putting players on the 40-man roster and then discuss them not doing so to protect anyone from the Rule 5 drafts. Uh, we talked about Bronovitz and Peak a lot in those episodes, but I want to focus tonight on some of the 2023 draft picks. Bob, I'm pretty sure you were the high person on Cunningham. Uh, I think we all three like him, but can you tell us why you're buying in early uh, on him?
2: Yeah, I have him in 19. Uh, so definitely carrying some water for uh the tool shed here. Um I'm his water boy, apparently. But I just again the tool shed, I love the tools. I think he is right up there with John Rhodes and Hudson Haskin types as far as his upside and and even his current level. I think the, the Orioles got a steal where they got him in that draft. And I don't know. I just I have really good vibes from Jake Cunningham, and and hopefully he rewards those vibes. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't get a ton of time. He, he got started late after the draft. He didn't get as many at-bats as Bradfield and Horvath and those guys did. But he performed well, even, you know, the limited time that he had. And between him, Tavian Josenberger, and even Matthew Etzel, who's in the next 10, and Jalen Vasquez, who – kind of came out of nowhere um, after getting drafted. One of those guys is I feel like at least one of those guys next year is going to really um, do something to, to be firm top 30 guys. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I just go back to the quotes from Brad. See, look up that his press conference right after the draft. I mean, shout out Brad. Um, hopefully you're not doing too well over there with the nationals uh, preparing for next year's draft, uh, But he seemed pretty stoked to highlight Jake Cunningham and the tools he has and what he brings to this organization and I think the Orioles agree with that assessment that they Cunningham really fell into their laps and they were super pumped that he did uh, you know injuries just kind of derailed his final year over there at Charlotte and then I think that was the reason why he got a late start after the draft but a fully healthy Jake Cunningham next year probably starts in Aberdeen and could be a guy who ends the year in Bowie. Um, but honestly, my eyes keep going to Tavian Josenberger. He didn't really like statistically show out last year. Got 22 games with Del Marva, no home runs, only hit 256. But he had 19 walks to just 22 strikeouts in his 78 at bats. And I think Josenberger is one of these guys who he's got the high floor for like speed and defense. He can play center field. I know uh we've had some people on the show talking about draft picks, saying he played in the dirt at Arkansas and he can probably play in the dirt for the Orioles if they want him to, although we kind of heard that with Reed Tremble, and I don't think Tremble ever played the infield. I don't think Josenberger probably sees the or infield. Or anywhere but, for that matter. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say he's he's I don't know if we ever see him on the field again at all. But Josenberger, like I just think the floor is pretty steady. I'm not gonna say high. Let's say the floor is steady with his speed and defense. If the bat is just okay, that can that'll carry you up to like triple A. And teams are going to be interested in you. They're going to sign you to minor league deals for years for your speed and defense. The hit tool isn't super high. I mean, they're like 40, 45 grades on the hit tool, but he's got sneaky power. Like there are a lot of 50, 55 plus raw power grades coming out of the draft on Josenberger. I think the Orioles saw the safe floor with the defense and the fielding, and they see something in the bat that they like. And if they can tap into that raw power and they can just get a little bit more out of that bat, Josenberger becomes a, a guy that is a much more interesting prospect in this organization.
1: The one thing we kept hearing about Josenberger um, out of the draft last year was about the uptick in power that he had after he transferred to Arkansas from Kansas before the 2023 season. Uh, and just put that into perspective with some numbers 244 plate appearances across 52 games with Kansas in 2022, Josenberger hit two home runs in 241 plate appearances over 52 games with Arkansas last year. He belted 10 home runs. I don't think anybody's looking at Josenberger thinking that all of a sudden you've got a guy that's going to be a solid 20 home run a year hitter in the big leagues, but someone who can get best case scenario. Maybe you're looking at the guy who can get into the low double digits, give you as Nick mentioned, that speed and defense combination with really good strike zone judgment. And that's the thing that I'm interested to see over a full season next year is how does he adjust to professional strike zones and professional pitching? Because the Orioles tend to go after patient hitters, but we see sometimes where those guys might struggle initially when they get to a higher level. I would imagine that Josenberger starts at Aberdeen next year, just based on a trajectory of someone who is, drafted out of division one ball last year. And there may be a little bit of a bump in the road, but he had a nice finish down at Delmarva. So I'm hoping that at the very least, even if he's not hitting for home run power, we see a good on-base percentage, good walk rate, low strikeout rate. If he can do those things, I'll feel pretty good about where his development stands.
0: Yeah. And I think the only other draft pick on that list is uh, Levi Wells there, the right-handed pitcher. I was Trying to see, I don't. Did he pitch at all professionally no. last year? No, um, Texas State. I'm not gonna, my computer's not gonna work fast enough to kind of look up what I wanted to look up for Levi Wells. But uh, if you look at like Baseball America articles and some other articles have kind of highlighted Wells as a guy who, if the Orioles want to kind of use him out of the bullpen and use him, put him on that reliever track, there have been a couple mentions of him being a guy who could be in the majors by the end of next season or at least sometime soon. Um, He was a starter down there at Texas state. I was looking to see if he pitched uh, against uh, my alma mater JMU here. He did not pitch against JMU. So I definitely miss Levi Wells in college. So I haven't seen him pitch personally. So can't really speak too much about what I've read about him. Uh, But if you've got some national outlets and national evaluators thinking that he's got the stuff to potentially be in the major leagues the next year or two as a reliever, I think that's a guy you might want to keep your eye on next year when he makes his pro debut. That
2: tells me he will be a starting pitcher and he mm-hmm. will end the year in AAA next year as a starter mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I also had read really good things. That's why he's on my list and our list overall, even though he didn't pitch. But uh, I, last thing on this group, uh, for me anyway, we've talked about Billy Cook a lot. I love that he'll just be sitting there in AAA A. As uh as as depth in 2024, in case you need an outfielder, you can go to Kyle Stowers, you can go to Billy Cook, Hudson Haskin if he's still around and he's not injured. Um, but Anderson daler Santos, I uh, talked about, you know, breakout pick for 2024. He's another one for me that I feel like is really going to learn and grow from his time on the field in Del Marva last year. He's like in Daryl Hernandez territory
0: for me come next season. Yeah, I've. Have- I've been pretty bold on some guys and taking some hard stances on some younger, more raw prospects. And not a lot of them have tend to pan out. Uh, so maybe I'm putting a curse on Anderson De Los Santos. But if there's one guy, honestly, in this like 31 through 50 range, if you ask me to pick one guy to, to put money on to say, this is your guy that's going to break out. I think I'm putting my money on Anderson De Los Santos. I just... I fell in love with the batted ball data. You watch this guy hit, and it's just this tight, compact swing. Everything just looks so good. It's like, why aren't the numbers there? And I'm I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that the numbers really start to show uh, next year when he very likely repeats at Delmarva to begin the year.
1: Yeah, I agree. He's probably going to end up back at Delmarva, and I'll just add this before we move on. You look at the overall numbers, and they're not good. 228 average, 626 ops but as nick mentioned the batted ball data on de los santos is pretty good and he doesn't turn 20 until january uh if you go back to the old alignment from minor league baseball de los santos probably would have spent last year at short season a as a 19 year old he'd be debuting at del marva next year as a 20 year old and we would be excited about that now Just because a guy repeats low A doesn't mean they're necessarily going to break out after a bad year. But I do feel like De Los Santos has some of the underlying traits that you would look for in someone who can rebound in that second go-around. And with that, I'll pivot now to the final section of this list, which is prospects 41 through 50. And as with the 31 to 40 range, there are a couple of guys we've talked about a lot lately because they are Rule 5 eligible this year. And that is the first two guys in this grouping, right-handed pitchers Ryan Watson and Brandon Young, who come in forty-first and forty-second, respectively. They're followed by Matthew Etzel, the outfielder and twenty-twenty-three draft pick that Bob mentioned just a moment ago. Cameron Weston, a right-hander who the Orioles chose in twenty in the twenty-twenty-two draft and had a nice twenty-twenty-three season, comes in at forty-four. Juan Rojas is behind him at forty-fifth, followed by Edgar Cortez at forty-six. Aaron Estrada, 47th. And then we have a tie at the bottom of the list as Yulio Prado and Ryan Long both place 49th. So running the spectrum there from Rojas to Long, you have three pitchers in Rojas, Portes and Long, and then two position players in Estrada, an infielder and Prado, an outfielder. I guess I'll start here with Edsel because we were just talking about the 2023 draft class so it seems like a logical place to pick that discussion back up is with a guy who was not really on our radar when the draft class was settled and his players started to sign with the Orioles, but he had a really strong first full seat, first few months in professional baseball between three levels, including the FCL Delmarva, which is where he spent the bulk of his time, and Aberdeen. He hit 323 across 124 plate appearances with a 966 OPS, and he showed a ton of speed in that span by swiping 21 bases in 24 attempts. And on top of that, really good strikeout-to-walk numbers, striking out 23 times while drawing 21 walks. So Edsel was a guy that kind of burst onto the radar over the course of the summer as he was drafted out of a small school in University of Southern Mississippi. The Orioles liked their small school guys, They got one in Etzel, who right now appears to have an interesting skill set. And Nick, I'll start with you here. Something I didn't touch on is that some national evaluators seem to think that Etzel could play center field. We didn't see him in center field a lot because he was sharing time with Enrique Bradfield Jr. But I bring that up because this seems like one of those guys who has a really interesting but raw skill set as he goes into his first full season of professional baseball.
3: Yeah.
0: I think he even adds when we had Joe Doyle on, I think he even had some pretty flattering things to say about Edsel that I was kind of surprised. Cause I, you're watching Edsel kind of take off there at Del, when he reached Marva and it's like, all right, is this because he's an older college guy who's just knocking around young, young pitchers, or is there something real here? And then he even gets up to high a for a couple of games to end the season and hit pretty well. Like you mentioned, he's got the speed, 21 stolen bases. He had power, doubles, triples. He had 14 total extra base hits in 30 games, 21 walks to 23 strikeouts, can play all over the outfield. Uh, You missed talking about Reed Trimble. Sorry, Reed, for catching all the strays here. (laughs) You missed on Reed Trimble out of Southern Miss. You go get Etzel, and uh, maybe this is your guy. Um, He's definitely intriguing. I, I still don't know, like, how high is his ceiling, though? Like that's my thing with Etzel. Like you see Josenberger, and you can project if the hit tools comes around, Josenberger from where he's at now, his ceiling I think is pretty massive. The odds of him reaching that ceiling are, are TBD. But there's a huge gap there. Jake Cunningham, massive gap between where he's at now and his ceiling. Etzel, I don't know how high that ceiling is. Like is he going to get to Bowie or AAA, and then kind of? be more of like a league average type hitter? I don't really know. Or is he a guy that you're like, actually, he's just going to continue to surprise us as he moves up the ladder. Get
2: Johnny riser type
0: of vibes um,
2: from Etzel, And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's got an ugly swing, but as we've seen in the past, they're not going to mess with that too much. And that doesn't mean he can't have success with it. Obviously the numbers were great, super fast. Like you said, defense is there. Yeah. I think, He's a great player to have in this organization, where, and especially with the development team, that can turn what could be, you know, perceived as organizational filler type guys in other organizations and elevate them above that, like they have with Billy Cook, in my opinion. So, you know, definitely not ruling out a, a nice big jump for for Matthew Etzel.
1: Another guy I want to highlight here for a minute is Weston, because I think coming into this year, we were. West Weston was on our radar in the sense that he was an eighth round pick the previous year. We wanted to see what he could do, but I don't know that we saw the year that he had coming. He ended up after getting a late start to the year really emerged as one of the better relievers in this farm system and a guy who can give you multiple innings out of the bullpen. Bob, what did you see out of Weston this season?
2: I saw some funky, funky stuff that could play really well in in short stints Uh, i think you know he did get like multi-inning efforts he's been a starter in the past could still be used as a starter but i feel like if he gets turned to a bullpen role this is a guy that maybe could be available in august september of 2024 for the baltimore orioles if if they need him uh i think he's got tremendous upside as a relief prospect and uh you know i think if they want to keep him as a starter it's going to take longer he's got a he has gotta work on some things there, but as a reliever, that that changeup is like absurd. So yeah, I'm a big
0: fan. Yeah. Doesn't he have some like funky, unique pitch too? Not a uh there's it's like a it's, Devin Williams-esque
2: uh change up thingy,
0: yeah. Turbo change or something. He's got something wicked down there that's like off the charts. I feel like we kind of we're told some like data numbers or something behind the scenes like and like the fastball was like meh it's it's there it's it's fine but like the secondary is the changeup that's the pitch that's going to carry you to the major leagues i see that with weston as well i don't really view him as a starter they're probably going to work him as a starter as he moves up the ranks but and i think injuries i don't know exactly what but he only pitched 40 innings last year he got a late start to the year only pitched a couple innings after he got drafted last year but I mean, it's a guy out of the Big Ten, so I think he can move pretty quickly as long as he's healthy and finally gets fully healthy for this team. 40 innings last year, though, in Aberdeen, he struck out almost 11 per nine. Didn't walk very many guys at all. He's got solid command. Didn't give up hardly any home runs. What, two or three home runs? One home run in 40 and a third innings last year down there in Aberdeen. A ground ball rate of almost 57%, 2.68 ERA. Those are uh, pretty solid numbers. I think he could... He probably starts next year. I'm trying to think of the depth. Honestly, he probably starts next year. Like Bowie. I imagine Bowie kind of does that tandem stuff again with a lot of guys. I imagine he's probably in a tandem with somebody, but I wouldn't be surprised if you throw him in Bowie's bullpen and he's a guy who's potentially, you know, he's in AAA by the end of the year.
1: Anyone else in this uh, group jump out to either one of you?
0: Shout out to Elio Prado. I guess I think Bob might be the higher guy on Prado here among the three of us. So maybe you can talk more about him, but I, I think shout out for him just being on this list here. I mean, the Andrew Kashner trade, and, and he's still, he doesn't turn 22 for like another week or so. Yeah. November 29th is his birthday. So he's not even 22 years old yet, and he was part of the Andrew Kashner trade. We know Noelworth Noel Ramirez' future is not in this organization, more than likely, but Prado got up to high A and, I mean, was still respectable. I thought started flashing more power when he got promoted to high A. We'll see what he does next year, but I'm still intrigued. Uh, and Edgar Portis, he wasn't on my list. I had got like I had Teddy Sharkey at 48, Keegan Gillis 49, Juan De Los Santos at 50, I had Thomas Sosa up at 44 too. Like I think those are good. And if you want to put Sharkey and Gillis in, in your top 50, I think they're complete deserving. I know like guys like Ryan Long and Portis and Rojas, like these guys I think still have, and even Weston to a degree, probably have a little bit more intrigue as a potential starting option, which is why I would probably have them in the top 50 ahead of guys like Sharky and Gillis. But Sharky and Gillis could both be major league options for the Orioles next year, and they're not even in our top 50, but they're strictly relief prospects. But Edgar Portis is another guy who I'd shout out. I think... Baseball America noted that he had one of the largest velo jumps in all of minor league baseball last year. Numbers are not great. I actually don't have his numbers pulled up. I don't think they were super impressive, but if he's seen huge velo spikes and the Orioles are able to work with that, maybe he becomes a guy who's a lot more interesting as uh, next year unfolds. Yeah. I had
2: Edgar Portes on my list somewhere in the forties. I just think that's a projection. Um, Pick there. I, I just like the the upside is pretty big. Um, and for Ilya Prado, I mean, he's had the tools since the Orioles acquired him. And man, did he fight through some just tremendous injuries. <laughs> he missed so much time until this season. And and still, I feel like he was another guy. He was with Posey. I feel like he he might have been promoted right around the same time that Posey was, and he just got better as the year went on. It seemed like he got more comfortable. He showed off a little bit of speed, a little bit of power. He's never really had sustained stretch of like excellent play, but I feel like the flashes are there and kind of similar to Steve, Steven Acevedo, who just stuck around, stuck around, stuck around, and then really started to show some improvement last year. I feel like Elio Prado is in a similar boat. So I, I just think he could be like a late bloomer. He's like 21 years old, but a late bloomer international prospect who could potentially, you know, be intriguing down the line. Uh, the only other guy for me in this range, Aaron Estrada. Uh, I'm still really high on the guy. He had a really bad luck compared to the DSL in 2022 when he was in the FCL this season. Very similar. Otherwise, uh, I think he's a guy that could also break out in a big way for Del Marva in 2024. Um, again, he's probably going to be like the Frederick Ben Cosme type of breakout where it's more contact, doubles, speed, over power he's he's a little guy but he can hit the ball so big fan of him still and big fan of this system as you mentioned there's plenty of guys 51 through 75 or what have you that still have you know decent potentials to at least you know crack the majors at some point
1: yeah it's kind of touching on this group i got a chance to see portes late last year and i love the fastball uh the results were kind of inconsistent across the board last year at Del Marba. And I think he still has some things to work on with his secondaries. But that fastball is a really good base for a guy that is as young as Portez is. 21, he won't turn 22 until next October. Probably going to start back at Aberdeen where he ended this season. I'm really curious to see where he goes. I'll just take a minute here to shout out some guys that got votes from us but did not make the overall top 50. Infielder Jalen Vasquez, who Bob mentioned earlier, he was a 2023 draft pick by the Orioles. Daniel Lloyd, a pitcher, was, got some top 50 considerations. In fact, I had him 47th on my list, but he fell just short of the overall top 50. Thomas Sosa, a young outfielder who had a really good year in the FCL, falls just short of the top 50, but a guy that's definitely on our radar. Teddy Sharkey, who Nick just mentioned, a relief prospect, who couldn't move quickly, and I feel like at least among our regular listeners, has already become a favorite, uh, even though he pitches a handful of innings in the minor leagues last year after being drafted. He falls just short of the top 50, but I don't think he's going to be outside of it for very long. Moises chase and Keegan Gillis, two more pitchers right there who received votes. Juan De Los Santos, another hurdler who received a vote, as Nick just mentioned, I believe he had him on his list. And I had Zach fruit on my list. This is 2023 draft pick who had a nice stuff, uh, jump over last year in college. And that's the kind of guy that I feel like generally the Orioles do well with is someone who's a little bit of a late riser that they can get into their system and work with. So fruit I had in the very last spot on my top 50, uh, but he does not make the overall top 50. So Bob, Nick, before we wrap up, um, either or, you know, either and or general thoughts on this top 50, as well as the guys who were on your list and fell just short.
0: I mean, it's, you had a lot of graduations. You graduated, I don't even have the complete list, like Grayson, DL Hall, uh, Jordan Westberg. You had some significant graduations from this list throughout the year. And yet I honestly think that this list as a whole Is stronger and deeper than it was last year. Um, you get to add a guy like Enrique Bradfield Jr. as your first round draft pick this year, and he's barely cracking the top 10 in this organization. And yet, you've got places, outlets like Baseball America writing like he doesn't need he may not need the power ever to to translate to an impactful major leaguer. He could be a guy who, again, this is like I think it was Jeff Ponce who was writing about this fan favorite, Jeff Ponce. Uh, saying Bradfield Jr. could be a guy who like changes the game with his playing style, or at least kind of r- changes the game into like what baseball maybe used to be back in the day um, with his playing style on the big league level. Like that's encouraging. Uh, and even this team's gonna have three draft picks in the top 40 next year. Like this, this farm system is gonna stay consistently strong. Even if you make trades, you could trade three of these top 10 guys and you're gonna replace them with guys like Judd Fabian and Seth Johnson and Jack and Baumeister and Mac Horvath. Like Matt Horvath is a top 10 guy in most systems and he's 15, 16 on our list. Like it's incredibly deep and it, it's really fun that just kind of look at this whole 2023 as a whole. It's really awesome that we get, we're gonna sit here and be able to watch hopefully what is now a perennial playoff team in the Baltimore Orioles. Yet as a podcast and outlet that covers the minor leagues uh, we still get to talk about one of the top farm systems in baseball. And uh, I, I think that's pretty awesome. Agreed.
2: As far as guys on my list that miss the the top 50, Moises Trace, just another international arm with pretty high upside, in my opinion. I feel like the command, it's, or not even command for him at this point, it's control, but I mean, he's got an electric arm. And then Jalen Vasquez, I mentioned him earlier. I just felt like, man, for a late draft pick, he showed a lot of skills, at least in the lower levels. Again, he could be a guy that kind of stalls out around double A. But I think, you know, just a quality guy to have in the system, probably gonna end up being a better pick than Adam Crampton. Let's just say no offense to Adam over there. But uh yeah, um again, super solid top fifty. And in about two months, we can add what 20, 30 new international names <laughs> to the list with the international signing period in January. So yeah, it, it never ends, and, and I love it for that.
1: And Speaking of that, we will be dropping our updated top 50 in January. I know it's not very far away, but a lot can happen between now and then as we're in the middle of the off season, We'll be getting closer to the point where the Orioles will be adding players as part of the international signing period, and that surely is going to affect the top 50. And as Bob mentioned at the beginning of the show, there are times where we will get – different information, updated information about players during the offseason, and we try to incorporate that into our list as needed. So once we get through the holidays, if you're a Patreon member, expect those daily top 50 reports to be dropping every day until we release the full list to everyone, probably around the time Pitchers and Catchers report in February. In the meantime, we will continue to bring you Weekly coverage this offseason will be back on live at our regular time next Wednesday night at 830. Thank you for listening to this episode, which is our October-November Top 50 Prospects Countdown. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. this is Zach Spedden. you've been listening to On The Verge.
3: You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are The Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.